Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the new and next and greatest episode of DS30. I am Nicholas Cifuentes Goodbody, and I'm joined by my new co-host, Ana Ochebar. Did I say that right, Ana? You said it so perfectly, Nicholas. Oh, I've been practicing all evening. <laughs> <laughs> so we've seen you on the podcast before, but thank you for joining. Gonzalo uh, left to join the, uh, the, the big wide world of data science at the New York Times. So we wish him well. But this is a wonderful opportunity because now we get you on the podcast. I am delighted to be your co-host, Nicholas. Well, I am delighted that you're here. Especially because today we have such a great episode. We're talking to Michael. Michael Cullen is one of the Data Incubator's instructors, and he has been sort of spearheading this amazing project working on the COVID-19 data set that was released on Kaggle. Um, so he has been working on making it even better, putting together even more sort of interesting questions and a team of people that will be working on this. Yeah, absolutely. It was so interesting to hear him talk about the COVID-19 data set, the, what is it called? It's called the CORD-19 uh, data competition and how he's assembling a team with medical students, with specialists. Uh, it sounds super exciting. Yes. So let's get to it. <laughs> Let's get to it. And one thing I want everyone to watch out for is Michael is a man of big ideas. So definitely like he just has the biggest ideas and I just absolutely love talking to him. So without further ado, uh, let's get right to the interview. Michael, thank you for being on the DS30 podcast. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here, Nicholas. That's, well, we're glad you're here. So why don't we start a little bit with you just introducing yourself. Tell us is... Uh, Tell us what it is that you do and how you came to do it. Sure, and perhaps look at a little background before that. Um, so my, sure. my academic background is in statistics, um, in particular, a lot of uh, computational methods, um, especially dealing with problems in biology. Um, so I attained a master's in statistics um, from Arizona State University um, in late 2018. Um, and from there, I joined the TDI Fellowship. Um, so over the course of those eight weeks in the fellowship, um, you know, I certainly came to appreciate the teaching style, um, the curriculum, the, I guess, culture at TDI. Um, and towards the end of the fellowship, I was asked to interview uh, to be an instructor. Um, and so I've been with the company for about a year now, um, teaching the fellowship, as well as a number of hands-on classes, um, as well as our business of data science class, um, which covers some technical and some organizational topics related to data science um, for more business-oriented audiences. Great. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your uh, experience with academia or more importantly, what was it sort of that made you feel like maybe I want something different? When I started working as a data scientist in industry, I found that the workflow was very different and in some ways flipped on its head. Uh, compared to the more academic approach. So in my academic research, I was often scrapping months of work, starting over again, because either I or my principal investigator slash advisor would have some new pressing question or some new idea that threw a wrench in the whole thing. There was not a clear push towards a proof of concept, a prototype, a minimum viable product, if you will. And this way of approaching projects, maybe before I left academia, I did not know that there was another approach. 
Um, and looking back, I can see why that was so frustrating and, and oftentimes harder to see the reward. Very interesting. So it's kind of like, you know, we started talking about existential snails, but it sounds like the existential crisis was more on your plate than the snail's plate. Well, you know, I, you go back far enough, we all are pretty similar. I think it's another thing That's true. <laughs> you make a very good point. You know, it's funny, you're talking about uh, different ways of doing projects and sort of what's expected and different expectations. I'm sort of curious, now that you're working in data science and you're working in industry, could you talk a little bit about what you see as the perceptions that people in industry have about data science, what it can do versus what is the reality of it? Absolutely. So as I see it, this is something that emerges both as an anxiety for people um, as well as something that they find very exciting. Um, which is interesting to see it on maybe both sides of the spectrum. Um, but we typically hear things like, you know, AI is replacing people. We're all gonna be out of a job. Um, perhaps, you know, AI is smarter than we are. Um, when I think about this, I think about maybe what I call the flying car problem. I think back 20 years, they said that we were gonna have flying cars in 10 years. I think back 10 years, they said we were going to have flying cars in 10 years. And you know, here we are, still pretty much stuck on the ground. So I mean, this is common in a lot of fields of technology. But in data science, it's very interesting because it relates a lot to how we perceive our roles in, in our work um, and maybe in you know, the broader world. So in reality, what we typically find is that you know, these algorithms are not suited for very general tasks. They don't have the same level of intuition or the same room for interpretation that, you know, the human mind does. And this speaks to something that's very important in, you know, the work of a data scientist, which is close collaboration and conversation with people who are experts in, you know, whatever domain we're applying our work to. So, for instance, in you know, the project that I'm here to talk about today, um, you know, we're not just setting up a team of collaborators who are experts in data science or natural language processing um, or, you know, these kinds of things, but we're working with people with a medical background. Um, we're collaborating with, in particular, you know, a group of medical students who are bringing highly specific and high urgency questions, you know, to us as they arise. Um, and this is something that even with you know, the most powerful computers available, the most sophisticated algorithms, we would never be able to find. Um, I guess that relates to, um, as you mentioned, the reason you're here, because we want to talk about this great project that the Data Incubator um, is starting. Um, and I think it relates to what you mentioned in industry, um, they're usually um, or in data science will be a very clear intent of why we're doing something um, compared to say in uh, academia where one can often feel like, why are we doing this? So maybe we can first uh, sort of before deeply introducing the project that you'll be talking to us about, um, tell us about why, why are we doing this? Why is the data incubator starting this project? I'd like to start by saying that our particular project is part of a much larger scale initiative um, in open collaborative research. 
And what we're seeing right now is a call to action for data scientists to support leading medical researchers and professionals um, in their collective efforts in you know, researching and, and hoping to combat the spread of COVID-19. It is hard to keep up with the news right now. Um, this is true anywhere from the typical media outlet we read to archives of scientific papers to conferences and all these sorts of things. Information is emerging at a blistering pace right now. Um, and this is a very good thing. Um, this, I mean, this signifies that you know, there's an unprecedented level of collaboration happening in the medical community. There are meaningful results being pushed to the front lines constantly. But what happens when we deal with this velocity of information, this rapid influx, I guess, of information, is that we start to exceed the limits of what a human can take in, right? Personally speaking, I don't know that I could read more than three or four academic papers in one day before my brain just, you know, starts to check out. Yeah, it just goes to mush. Yeah, and realistically, we're skimming, right? We look at the intro, we look at the results. Um, and so medical researchers, especially because they're in the lab, probably for very long stretches of time at this point, they're not able to keep up with all of this information as it comes out. And, Similarly, they're not able to have to take the deep dive into previous research that's particularly relevant. Um, things like SARS and MERS, which have very similar, which are very similar to COVID-19. And so what mm -hmm. we're seeing for data scientists is a role in supporting that research by extracting um, information from that large body of knowledge, from finding new connections, and as I sort of said before, in delivering that information into the hands of those who need it most and who can use it best. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. So basically what you're saying is there's this new data set out here, and the call to action for data scientists is to take this huge amount of information that essentially, you know, one person or one research or one lab couldn't absorb and, um, and surface important insights that researchers can then use to basically drive uh, kind of surface questions that are important for them to actually focus on using their, their specialized knowledge. Does that, does that seem like a fair summary? That is a wonderful summary. I could not have said it better myself. So tell us a little bit more about what is the, uh, this COVID-19 open research initiative? Like what is the data set? Who's behind it? Uh, what is it all about? Sure, so COVID-19, um, as I mentioned before, this open research data set is a fully cleaned and prepared collection of scientific papers. Um, there are more than 29,000 full text articles in this data set. So when I said more than anyone could ever read, this is what I mean. These relate to COVID-19, they relate to SARS and MERS, other viruses that affect the body in similar ways. And the 
the goal here again is to employ machine learning techniques, natural language processing techniques to enable us to get critical information and you know, collect new insights um, and deliver new insights um, from this data. So the primary platform that this open collaboration is taking place right now is on Kaggle. And of course, you know, Kaggle is a very popular platform for data science competitions, um, as well as open collaboration. So through the website, you can download the data set, you can see particular tasks that researchers are interested in, um, or you know, broad questions that they have. You can see example code that other researchers have used to get insights, um, and you can compete. Excellent. So there's this large data set out there. It's on this data competition website called Kaggle. And then what is it that, that we're doing? What is it that Pragmatic is doing um, in terms of our specific initiative? Sure. So the way that our project differs, or perhaps the thing that makes it distinct, is that we're organizing a more close-knit group for collaboration and for more close communication. Um, the benefit here is that we can stay up to date with each other as often as possible. We can organize around larger scale projects and deliver results quickly. And we have channels for communicating with each other as well as with some of our medical collaborators. Oh, they're, so they're medical collaborators. That's correct. So one arm of this project um, is an invitation that we've extended to alumni of the fellowship. Um, we've asked them to join our initial team, um, which will handle organizing and managing the projects that we take on and delivering the results. We will then open this up to open public collaboration, um, likely through GitHub, through posting intermediate results to Kaggle, through trying to continue to, you know, to push the conversation um, you know, in public venues as well. But in addition to that, um, we are teaming up with a group of medical students at the University of Western Michigan who have been directing our research in the form of pointed hypotheses, pointed questions, directing our attention to critical information that is emerging that we may not have seen otherwise. That's really exciting. So maybe can you talk a little bit about the time on, timeline of this um, project, of this initiative, and how can people get involved? Sure. So in the next few weeks, we'll be putting together this core group of team leaders um, and alumni representatives. So there will be a period of a few weeks through the beginning and middle of April in which we will be getting everything set up. This is going to look like establishing key questions, key lines of research that we're trying to address. This is going to look like establishing our technical and computational platforms. And 
basically getting everything ready to let more people in and really get the ball rolling. So once we do that, through GitHub, through Kaggle, anyone will be able to see our current progress, anyone will be able to contribute, but the particular strength of our project is that we will have a centralized conversation that's gonna be directing a lot of very pointed and emergent questions. That sounds, you know, it's so interesting to think that, you know, maybe I'm thinking like a humanist, but it really is the medium is the message, right? And it's like, how are we all communicating? We're using GitHub, we're using Kaggle, and how all these platforms are bringing us together. Yeah, it's amazing. It is a sign of the times, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I guess. We don't have flying cars, but we can all uh, exchange emojis on uh, GitHub. So, so how can people get involved if they want to? Sure. So as we start opening up for more open collaboration, as we start opening up to public collaboration, we'll also be giving presentations um, for a public audience, informing people of, again, the origins of the project, the current status, future work, and part of that will be a call to action. We will mention areas that we really urgently need you know, more researchers, um, whether they are coming from a data science background or perhaps a medical background, to keep driving development and to keep driving the conversation. This is great. So um, is there something that we can uh, give to our listeners? What should they look out for? Is there a website that they could go to to follow this project? Sure, I will say that some of the specifics here are still being worked out. And of course, that is because we are getting this project moving as quickly as possible. So we're getting the team together. We are identifying research questions. We're figuring out some of the computational aspects. And similarly, we're figuring out some of the public aspects as well. So in some sense, the best answer I can give is to keep your eyes peeled, keep looking out for information from us, um, certainly through social media, um, probably through our website as well. And this is going to look like live presentations that we'll be giving. This is going to look like blog posts. This is going to look like particular calls to action for people to contribute and things like that. But uh, we are still working out those details along with some of the other details. Sounds good. So sure, we'll make yeah. sure that as soon as we know anything else, uh, Nicholas and I can also share more on this platform as soon as we know anything. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, um, let's, I mean, you've been so nice to talk to us about uh, how it is that you became a data scientist in this particular initiative, which I think is important in general, but is especially, is especially present right now. Um, is there just sort of any final call to action that you have for people, whether it's about this initiative or whether it's just in general? You know, we started this conversation being very existential. I'm sort of curious, what would your call to action to our audience be? Sure, so we've seen some ways in which data science experts and medical experts are being called to contribute right now. And of course, this is happening on a technical level, but there is a very humanistic side to this collaboration to this sort of involvement in these large-scale projects. Joining something like the 
COVID-19 Open Research Challenge, joining something like our alumni collaboration, it does more than just produce results. And of course, those results are of critical importance. But it does something for us as well, as humans. In some sense, we're very isolated right now. But we're also seeing a lot of new ways that we connect with people meaningfully. Whether it's through video calls, whether it's through social media, whether it's just calling someone on the phone who you haven't talked to for a long time. There is a conscious drive towards being mindful of our relationships right now. The same is true in scientific collaboration. Joining a project like ours is actively taking part in, in doing something, in working with other people to do something, as opposed to waiting around anxiously, I guess. Um, you know, you can only reorganize the knickknacks in your apartment so many times. Um, it is meaningful to do something that is and that feels productive. The same is true, of course, not just for data scientists or medical scientists, public health professionals, but it's true for everyone. Everyone has a part to play right now, whether it is simply social distancing, whether it is looking out for high risk individuals that you may know or that you may not know. These have serious benefits in the real world in a material way. These also have serious benefits in a humanistic way. They make us feel more connected and when we feel more connected, it feels like maybe this isn't so. These sorts of things make us feel more connected and when we feel more connected, I think we're able to feel that this isn't gonna to be too big to overcome. Thank you so much, Michael. Nicholas and I feel like now, now we can go through this. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're ready like to all pitch in. That was an amazing call to action. Thank you so much, Michael. Of course, um, and thank you for having me on. Uh, hey, anytime, anytime you wanna come talk about big questions, come back. And of course we want you to come back once this project is a little bit more underway to share absolutely. how it's going. Looking forward to seeing the results and everything that comes out of it. Of course, yeah, we'll be in touch soon, I'm sure.